Welcome to the Codifier Podcast. Codifier is a podcast about breaking down emerging trends and technologies into bite-sized chunks for everyone, from software developers to sales gurus to even your grandparents, that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. And hello, we are back. I'm Steve Jaguer, your host. This is Codifier episode 13 or season two, episode one, depending on how you want to look at it. It's been a year, a year, since the first podcast, which was on Bitcoin. And yeah, some things have happened since then. It's also been about six months since the last podcast. So if you're still listening, I am a happy man. Welcome back and thank you. Something worth also mentioning is that I now have another podcast. For the real geeks out there, uh, my workplace, the Synopsys Software Integrity Group, has commissioned a podcast they'd like me to host called Hacking Security. So, yeah, that already sounds pretty geeky, I guess. Uh, you can find that on all good podcast sources. There's only really one episode out now at the moment. There's a few recorded. It's going to be monthly, so 12 episodes a year, but spread over the entire year. So there's a potential that this one might go monthly so that I'm still kind of producing the same number of podcasts, just with different purposes. Uh, the hacking security one will be more focused on some of the security aspects that I do touch on in the Codifier podcast, but it'll get a little bit more developer-centric. Uh, so feel free, if you've got those kind of roots, to go over and take a search for hacking security, and you might enjoy it. Otherwise, though, this one, instead of being seasonal, will extend to 12 episodes, but again, will be monthly. So we'll be going all year, which could be even better. Okay, let's get into it. The subject of this podcast is the rise and fall, and rise and fall, and rise and fall, and rise and fall, of cryptocurrencies. And I won't just concentrate on Bitcoin in this one. Although last year at this time, when I started this, Bitcoin was going, well, it's safe to say, a little bit cuckoo bonkers. It was on what seemed to be a never-ending rise to the moon, until it wasn't rising. It stopped just shortly after the turn of 2018. And my apologies to anybody who considered my enthusiasm about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as investment advice. If you got into it, freaked out and sold and lost any money, I did mention in the last podcast a year ago that it could just drop to zero at any time. It is not a sound investment. It is one based on largely speculation. And its behavior is totally unpredictable? Hmm. Well, I would argue that maybe it's a little predictable. Bitcoin. Let's get into that. So, where is Bitcoin now? Interestingly, it's kind of almost worth the same amount, give or take, you know, a few hundred pounds or dollars, depending on your country of origin, that was this time last year. So really, where are we? There is some interesting patterns to the way cryptocurrencies fluctuate, and I'll use Bitcoin as kind of an example, but I think you will see this generally across most cryptocurrencies. So if you check out the blog article uh, for this podcast on codifier.com, you can see a few graphs of Bitcoin over the years. There's an all-time price that 
really isn't that interesting other than the fact that you can see it generally going up over the past uh, eight to 10 years. Uh, there is that Christmas spike from last year that kind of skews the whole thing. But the idea is that generally it's going up and it tends to be going up in line with basic awareness that it exists. Now that doesn't really give it real value. It gives it more of a potential value. What is interesting is the behavior of the price when the media gets involved and they start hyping it. That's what happened last year around now. Now, there was a real technological change in Bitcoin in the July time and the price changed. That was more technology driven, but that's kind of what kicked it into the spotlight of the media and to the everyday person like perhaps you and me. Suddenly, it hit this tipping point where it started to skyrocket. Now, what's interesting is if you think last year was a bizarre anomaly, if you check out the graphs that I've got on the blog and you look at November 4th, so exactly one year ago from the date I'm recording this to now, November 4th, 2018, you get a feel for the signature of that kind of crazy fluctuation that happened as we turned from 2017 to 2018. However, if you go back in time and look at the graph I've got posted for the exact same dates, November 4th, 2013, to November 4th, 2014, that was the last major Bitcoin hullabaloo in the press. Checking out that graph shows almost the exact same signature. You can almost overlay that graph on what happened in the 2017-2018 graph. Now, of course, the pricing is almost exactly 20 times smaller, but the shape of the way it moved and the way we reacted to the media in terms of overbuying and creating that bubble is almost identical. It's interesting how much the value of Bitcoin was driven by media and speculation in certain circumstances. We reacted almost the same way as we did four years ago. And four years appears to be that magic amount of time for us humans to totally forget that we actually did this exactly the same four years ago and we just go ahead and we do it again. So this is not investment advice, but I am curious to see what happens on November 4th, 2021. Okay. So let's get away from Bitcoin for the moment and let's talk about some of the other big cryptocurrencies out there like Ethereum and Litecoin, of which I own both of those. I find them both interesting. I particularly like Ethereum. I don't entirely understand Litecoin, but I admire its popularity and I find it a simplified version of Bitcoin. I'm not going to get too into that one. The reason I like Ethereum, though, is that it has a leader who is real. Uh, Vitalik Buterin, uh, unlike the imaginary uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, who, who founded Bitcoin. No one really knows who that is. Ethereum also has a plan. It has a heap of developers behind it. And it has some critical differentiators that I think a lot of people will like. One of them is called the proof-of-stake system that it has in its roadmap. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that because... The proof-of-work system has gotten a lot of real negative press, and that's what's powering most cryptocurrencies at the moment. Now, I will define both proof-of-work and proof-of-stake uh, in a simple way shortly. But before I get into that, the reason I like Ethereum also is because it's not a straight-up cryptocurrency. It's actually a platform for the creation of smart contracts. Now, yeah, there's that word again, smart. You whack the word smart in front of something, and suddenly it makes it great. 
like the smart office where nobody gets a desk. It's all hot desks, but like a high school cafeteria, everybody just sits in the same seat anyway. No, not that kind of useless application of the word smart. It's better than that. Now, the word smart aside, it's a way of using blockchain technology to record a contract in a sequence using the immutable nature of blockchain. Now, I realize when we talk about blockchain, we use the word immutable a lot. Uh, and frankly, I never used that. It was not part of my vocabulary before I started talking about blockchain. So to define that, imagine immutable equals unchangeable. You can't mess with it. So the idea of a smart contract could be anything from taking out a mortgage to creating a will, buying insurance, or perhaps taking out a copyright or a patent. Now, these are things you'd like to know cannot be manipulated later on. Blockchain fits the bill for that. So this is where Ethereum comes in. It might also be interesting for you to know that other cryptocurrencies can be created and built on top of the Ethereum platform. That's quite interesting because Ethereum does have its own currency called Ether, which is designed to fuel contract transactions. Quite a clever concept and one that's actually already been commercialized in the form of something called Hyperledger. Uh, that's a technology being investigated and invested by financial institutions, and one that was actually oddly recently shown to be hackable by one of my colleagues at work. Um, I'll leave that for you to investigate, because I will be diving into that in a future episode of the other podcast, Hacking Security. Anyhow, though, smart contracts make sense. In fact, Ethereum might even go so far as to be showing it has real purpose and a valid use, unlike just about every other cryptocurrency or blockchain initiative out there. So getting back to that game changer I was talking about, the proof of stake versus the proof of work. I talked a little bit about proof of work in the very first Bitcoin podcast, but essentially proof of work means that every node on the distributed blockchain network is competing to calculate a very difficult problem in order to prove that their, their value to the network is present and those who win, who have the most computing power, get to validate the, the next page in the, in the online ledger that is the blockchain. But it does mean it's using up an awful lot of power. The annual global mining cost, and that's what they're called miners, for the proof of work for Bitcoin alone last year cost dollars. Bitcoin alone annually consumes 28 terawatts per hour of electricity. Like the country of Ecuador consumed 21. Bitcoin consumes more power than Ireland. And I don't know, let's pick, so Slovak Republic, there's a bunch of countries in there that, that it consumes more than. Uh, so that's crazy. So that's, that, that is highly not environmental. Um, so it's kind of got a little bit out of hand. And Ethereum is looking to come up with a solution to this. Okay, we're at the halfway point. First intermission of season two. Please follow on Twitter. Codifier is the tag. Uh, Instagram, codifier.co.uk. Facebook.com slash codifier. These are all the ways to keep track of what's going on in future episodes I don't know any of the social media for hacking security yet, but when I find out, I will announce it on this 
show. For now, I just say go subscribe. Give the first episode a listen, where largely I just make fun of the name Hacking Security. You might enjoy that. It's only five minutes long. Get a little bit of a flavor for it. Um, and welcome back. Now let's get back into it. Episode 13, Codifier, The Rise and Fall of Crypto. So Ethereum has a theory called the proof of stake, and this is looking to oppose or replace proof of work. Because right now, actually, to be honest, Ethereum is also driven by the proof of work with miners and mining pools and all the usual problems that go with that. Now, what makes proof of stake different? How do I try to define this? Proof of stake means that if you want to validate a block instead of calculating a random super hard to to come up with um, cryptographic puzzle you have to say a little bit like a poker game you have to say i'm willing to bet that this that this is a valid transaction in this smart contract it looks okay to me and in fact i'm so confident in that that i will stake 10 ethereum that i own against that now 10 Ethereum at the moment would be worth about $2,000. So it's almost like you're in a poker game and you're saying, well, I'm going to stay, I'm going to ante up $2,000. Everyone at the table agrees and puts their money in. And if one person decides to manipulate that and say, no, I think it's wrong or there's something wrong and there's a a malicious intent behind manipulating the verification of transactions, then you lose your stake. So the idea here is that you can't afford to try and game the system in some way. Like right now, proof of work has some major flaws. The biggest one being people who have a lot of money have created these huge mining farms in places like Iceland where the electricity is pretty cheap so that they can make the most Bitcoin when mining them. The problem we have there, though, is that enough people have done that is that if enough of those mining farms have got together, say those people got together, then they would create something called a 51% uh, problem. And I talked about this in actually one of my other podcasts. That means that they can become the majority. So they can, 51% of the miners can say, this is a correct transaction. And actually it's a it's a fraudulent transaction, and it could be a transaction that works in the favor of the people who own the mining farms. Now, that's highly unlikely, but it's possible at the moment with the proof-of-work system within Bitcoin. Proof-of-stake kind of covers that off. Now, the basics of it are anybody who's a validator, and that's the new word for a miner, stakes a portion of Ether that they own. So there's the, the, the poker game kind of anteing up. After that, they validate the blocks of transactions, the same things that the miners in a proof of work used to do. If a block that they validate is appended to the blockchain, the validators get a reward proportional to their bets. Again, it sounds a little bit like a rewarding a, a poker game. So if a validator, blah, I can't say that, validator acts in a malicious manner, they will be reprimanded and all of their stake gets slashed. So they kind of lose their money Almost as if they're trying to bluff in a poker game. If they, if they get caught out, they lose their money. Now, that's a really rough analogy, the poker one. 
Um, but you don't participate unless you're acting in the best interest of the network. If you try and pull a fast one, verify a fraudulent transaction in your own game, the network will try to shut you down and take your money. Now, there is that aspect of what if you tried to pull a 51% of the stake um, to try and be able to say, well, I, I have 51% of all the Ether, therefore I can stake more than anybody else and maybe I can manipulate the network because I own the most stake. Kind of like you would in a poker game. You can start to bully people. The problem with that is that, let me try and break this down financially. If you own, to own 51% of Ether right now would mean you owned 525,162,256 Ether. Now those are worth about $200 each. So actually you you own about 10.5 billion US dollars worth of Ether. If you own that, what are you doing messing around with the Ether network? I mean, come on. You've got 10.5 billion US dollars worth of Ether. Now, if you get caught, say in the unlikely event you did want to still mess with it, you could lose your 10.5 billion dollars of Ether. And even if you are sort of caught or there's some detection of manipulation, seeing as, as your wealth is heavily dependent on the value of Ether, you wouldn't want to compromise that. You would want to be an evangelist of the, of the currency and the system not trying to manipulate it. The more you own, the more you want to act in the interest of the network. It's a form of wealth breeding honesty, which seems like a real change, doesn't it? Strange. So when is all this going to happen? Well, that's what nobody really knows. There's a lot of work going into this project. Its code name is Casper, uh, and it's primarily the work of an individual named Vlad Zamfer, who's working on the Ethereum project. And there's two versions at the moment. There's one which is a part proof of stake, part proof of work that will come in first, and that will be followed eventually by the full proof of stake. And I don't know how many years that's going to take, but you keep hearing that it's on the verge. Now, if you think back to what I was talking about earlier with Bitcoin and how its, its price went up back in July 2017 due to a technological change, something that got the attention of the people who actually are already technologically invested in that cryptocurrency, this is another one of those kind of critical watershed moments in, in cryptocurrency. And when that comes into play, I think it's really going to change the face of the way crypto is viewed because it will stop being an environmental disaster. And it will mean that there's a bit more positivity around it, in particular Ethereum. So I'm kind of hoping that that happens in the next four years and we can see what sort of change that brings across the cryptocurrency spectrum generally. I think a lot of other cryptos will look at what happens, try to see the algorithm that was used, and they'll start moving over towards the same kind of proof of stake mechanism and getting away from proof of work as well. And maybe that'll happen with Bitcoin, we don't know. But that's the sort of thing that's going to be happening in the future with crypto. And that is one of the things I'm looking to affect, uh, legitimately affect potentially the way these things are are speculatively valued at the moment. Well, okay, I'm going to wrap things up there. 
Uh, I'm going to be creating another podcast about crypto. I know I really bang on about this stuff. The next one, the next one's going to be, I guess you could say a lot more fun. I'm going to be investigating the world of shit coins. And if you don't know what I mean by that, let me, let me just give you a bit of a teaser there. If you go to a, a website called CoinMarketCap, um, you will see that there's more than three cryptocurrencies. Yeah, there's more than three. Um, there's thousands. <laughs> Seriously. And it's not that hard to create your own, really. You can, you can go create a fork of the, the Bitcoin code and you can try and build them. People have done it. And it's created a bit of a, a, a very complicated and confusing market around Bitcoin where there's a lot of scams. There's a lot of just complete nonsense out there. And navigating your way through that can be a bit scary. So the next episode will be also about crypto, but it's going to be uh, exploring that kind of hair-raising and quite humorous at times world of shitcoins. Until then, though, I've been your host, Steve Jaguar. This has been Codifier episode 13. Thanks for listening.